0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the DigiDay Podcast. I'm senior marketing reporter Tamiko McCoy. And I'm media editor Keeley Barber. We're reaching the finish line at this point. Our end of year story coverage is, is wrapping up. We're getting toward holiday break. Let's do an emotional check-in. How are you?
1: <laughs> I feel like the dark circles under my eyes just keep sinking further and further into my skull. Um, I'm a little <laughs> exhausted, a little haggard, um, but... I am very much looking forward to our dead week during the Christmas to New Year holidays. I'm just, it's it's going to be reju- rejuvenating. I am very sure of it. How
0: are you feeling? This is the third time I've made this joke today, but I stand by it. Do you remember the doll Cynthia from Rugrats? Angelica, it was her favorite thing. She had maybe three yes. pieces of hair on her head. Yes, That's iconic. Me. Yep. That is what I'm <laughs> crawling to the finish line looking at.
1: <laughs> I feel that she is the embodiment of most media workers and most marketers. I'm I'm positive this time of year. It's just it's been a tough year. It's been a long year, and the break is is needed and well deserved. That is the energy I'm channeling as well.
0: Yeah, man. Speaking of what a what a fantastic transition um, that we did not plan, by the way. The, the, I mean, given. Media has always been a very shaky industry, but I think this last year has been especially hellish when you consider um, the layoffs that have happened at Washington Post, NPR, BuzzFeed News, which actually the whole shuttering of BuzzFeed mm-hmm. News, um, you know, Texas Tribune, Connie Nash, and 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 across the board. But there is one publication that seems to be faring pretty well. Um, and you actually had the opportunity to speak with them. So Talk to me a little bit about your conversation with some of Forest co-founder Justin Smith.
1: Yeah, so this is their first full year like fully launched. So they launched in October 2022. So 2023 is their first real like full year. So we did like a gut check on what happened this year, how they're feeling. Um terrible year to launch a media company, I would say. I think that's a, you know, not too bold of a claim to make, but given that, um they are already looking at finishing Q4 like profitably like the quarter is looking to be profitable Um, at least that's what Justin said when we chatted earlier this month so it's you know going well for them all things considered Um, and you know a couple of the things that we got into in this conversation is like launching a new media company in an age where it's you really can't be dependent on social platforms anymore for audience generation. Like, So what does that look like? And it's a lot of like relying on owned and operated, um, really embracing newsletters, embracing their events business. And this has been reported earlier in the year, but their goal going into next year is to really make events revenue half of their business and really double down on events. So I think they did close to like 50 events this year. I think they're looking to do even more next year. Um, and it, they're not at all unique necessarily in that because events is... I hear time and again, like the big focus, that's where advertisers really want to be spending. So it makes sense that that's where they're doubling down. But when we also talked about like kind of the management of a company and like the the overhead and things like that, because events aren't cheap either. Um, Justin was saying it's really about, you know, keeping the team as lean as possible for as long as possible. So I think the team is around, um, you know, it's under a hundred people. He, says the exact number later. So I'll let him kind of get into the numbers, but he's not really planning to grow all that much next year. Like the idea is to continue this, you know, trajectory of profitability and hopefully, you know, keep that momentum going. Um, Not necessarily, you know, raising more funds, but trying to rely on the business to do that. And it also includes not really hiring too much more than they already have unless it's like absolutely necessary. So it's a very kind of lean and mean approach to growing a company and, you know, props to them for being able to get to a profitability position as fast as they did in an economy that we're currently in.
0: Wow. that It says a lot to being able to launch a media company right now. I think the last good time to do that was in the early 2000s and then in the 1700s Yeah, or probably the last <laughs> right. time yeah. to launch a media company.
1: Yeah. Uh, when the uh, printing press was made, that was the last yeah, exactly. good time to launch any kind of publishing company. <laughs> um yeah so it yeah it was an interesting conversation um I will say it it, it kind of goes a little long so buckle in you guys um hopefully you can listen to this on your
0: I don't know holiday travels or something like that but it was a good one fantastic well I won't hold you any longer let's go ahead and get into it thanks so much thank you
1: Justin welcome to the digiday podcast thank you so much for joining me
2: thank you Kaylee uh glad to be here as I said earlier I'm a longtime digiday fan so uh, this is a, a thrill to to join you.
1: Awesome. Well, this is the last guest episode of the year. We will have one other editor's recap episode um, during our off week over the holidays. But Justin, you're wrapping up this year's podcast, but it's also the first full year in the books for Semaphore, which launched in October 2022, if I'm remembering correctly. Maybe I'm off by a month, but first full year in the books in an admittedly very tough year for any digital publisher, let alone one that's kind of launching a whole new company. But I guess first question for you, how does it feel to have a year done and how did that year go?
2: Thank you. Well, um, it's been definitely the busiest year of my professional life, uh, which is, but also frankly, one of the most rewarding and exciting um, years. Uh, As as you mentioned, it's funny, when we started raising money uh, doing our, our seed round for Semaphore, uh, the Ukraine um, had not been invaded by Russia. Interest rates were at zero percent, and um, you know it was sort of a, the, the, still the boom times of, um, of venture capital and and uh, a lot of excess capital. And uh, uh, as we as we raised our first round and, and launched the business, obviously the, the world changed, and so it was, a, it, was a, it was a very interesting experience to to launch a company into what were a lot of both macroeconomic headwinds, geopolitical headwinds, but also industry headwinds. Um, and given all that, uh, especially given those headwinds, I'm, I'm just really, really proud of our effort. I'm really proud of our team. Uh, I think in just a very short period of time, Semaphore has succeeded in building a brand, uh, not ubiquitous yet, not, not, it's not a household name, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a brand now that is competing at the highest level on the playing field of global quality journalism, breaking some of the most important consequential stories, beating many of my former employers and com- competitors Beating the biggest brands of the world to, to, to some of the biggest stories in the world uh, are probably the, the best example of that. Was our, our our breaking the story of Microsoft's acquisition of ChatGPT um, for ten billion dollars in January, which was maybe the biggest single business story of the year, and that and that continued across a whole range of, of verticals across the, across um, the entire calendar year. So, I think. Um, you know, big headwinds on a lot of levels, but we overcame them. And in many ways, you know, the headwinds were, in hindsight, kind of a gift because it it's it's it's, it's, it's good to to launch and to build and to design a new company, a new business model, a new culture, you know, in the face of of, uh, of difficult times and adversity, because it really concentrates the mind on where you focus, what you do. And um, and that's what we did, and so we uh, we've we've uh, we've had a great year, built a brand, have a great uh, growing engaged audience, have uh, a, a very strong revenue picture that's looking even brighter into twenty twenty four, and um, we're just we're very pleased and and very grateful for where we are right now.
1: Definitely a lot to dig into. I guess first, given the fact that you know, really the. The fundraising, like the launch was happening like right before this kind of turn for the worst in a lot of ways in the media industry. Did that lead you to have to like recalibrate any of the goals that you would set, either from a revenue standpoint, a growth standpoint, things like that, even like, you know, setting up a company, things like opening up an office and things of that nature, those costs, those that come with launching a new business? Like how did those Unexpected, or maybe they were expected to some. I don't know. Um, but like those headwinds, how did that kind of change calibrate the launch? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, it. Um, you know, in, it. They had significant impact. Um, one, we uh, we ended up raising more money than we originally anticipated because as the world changed, we realized, okay, this would um, if we have the demand for more. Uh, seed funding then let's take it because uh, dark clouds are are arriving on the horizon and so let's let's get that money in the bank um, to to survive such a period um, second secondly we we also changed our business plan midstream um, not the actual direction and strategy and you know co- content portfolio and business and business model but rather just the scale of it and so I think in the in the late spring of 2022, uh, you know, about three or four months from launch, we reduced the headcount um, that we were going to hire for launch, I think, by almost 35 percent, maybe 40 percent. And so we preemptively scaled back uh, our, our launch efforts, um, especially in, in terms of the number of people that we hired and, and the, the amount of. Products that we were gonna we we're gonna um, launch in October 2022 when we when we came into this world and so um, yeah we were very very sensitive to it and uh, it served us well because we've um, been able to to you know, grow maybe from a smaller base but a very focused and concentrated base and be very good at the things that we chose to do
1: and so your current headcount now is a. About sixty employees. Am I
2: uh, It's a little. That it's, a, right? it's a. It's a. Bit, it's a bit, little bit higher because we've got a, a large um, uh, news gathering operation across Africa, um, which I hope we can talk about. I know it's not necessarily directly relevant to Digiday's American audience, but. It's, it's actually the, the headcount with full-time contractors and super stringers is, is, is closer to about 70, 75.
1: And looking into the next year, given you know what you were saying about being optimistic about the revenue and, and things of that nature, is it a number that you're looking to grow or do you feel pretty sturdy at the you know 70 or so employees that you have currently?
2: You know, one of um, our investors, uh, and we've got just a, a really, really wonderful group of um, experienced investors, some of the most accomplished business people in the world uh, that are also great advisors to um, to me and our whole team. It, it, one piece of advice uh, he shared with me one day was, Justin, don't hire another person for as long as you possibly can. Just Play that. Play, play a game with yourself. Just just don't hire anyone. Just see how much you can push this company with the seventy to seventy-five that you have, and uh, and impose that self-discipline. Uh, and it, it was it was it was an interesting um, thought because it it effectively is saying you know you just there's you don't know the capacity and the productivity levels of, of the existing workforce that you've assembled. Um, if you also adopt that approach, you then think quite differently about talent. You think about, well, of the 70, 75 people we have, is everyone producing work at, uh, you know, at a, at an A standard, at a productivity standard, intensity standard that, um, that is necessary. And so when you, if you don't allow yourself to hire incremental headcount, you, then you turn Internally to productivity, and you say, okay, well, maybe we need to make some changes with people on the existing team, part of the existing seventy who are not actually pulling their weight. Um, So it has. It's it's actually it's a it's a it's not a permanent good piece of permanent advice, but it's it's an interesting and I think powerful piece of advice for a new company. Uh, And we followed it to a large extent this year. Uh, And um, he also said, you've got to get to the point where you're sort of that you're literally panting and. Uh, you know, metaphorically, have blisters on your feet because you've just been, you've pushed your existing resources so far. Only at that point when you're really, really feeling that pain and you're sort of cutting into the bone, then consider adding incremental incremental resources. And I think that we've, in some areas, we've gotten to that point. Um, and so we, I think we'll, our, our view towards 2024 and headcount is to expand it uh, in very selective areas, you know, where that sort of, in, intense pressure is, needs to be relieved with more, more staff. We, you know, obviously you can't um, build a positive culture if people are overworked and, uh, and not, not, don't have a a work-life balance that's sustainable. Um, And, uh, and secondarily, there's some areas of the business that just actually where there's more demand for, um, for the labor supply that we can offer. So uh, for instance, in our advertising business across, just the last um, second half of this year, in particular, there are just too many clients' conversations, too many RFPs, too many um, uh, ideation opportunities, too many events opportunities for us to be able to deliver the existing staff. So we, we, you, that's another, obviously, key key milestone for adding incremental staff. So I think we'll add some more um, revenue folks. Um, we've already already have expand our revenue team. We're going to add more events folks, which we did uh, add a lot. Uh, as you, you may know, uh, we are a events-first media company, uh, an events-first and newsletter-first media company. Those are the two platforms that we've radically prioritized over other platforms. And, um, and so that's where a lot of the resources go. And there'll be some targeted editorial investments, which we'll make as well. Uh, but again, those editorial investments will be focused on on areas that where the you know, the monetization demand uh, is is stripping the, the supply in the, in this case of, of inventory created by good editorial.
1: Yeah, that kind of not scaled back but very thoughtful approach to um, the size of your workforce, I think, is something that not all recently launched media companies has taken. So it's it's definitely interesting, and I it makes sense from a Startup standpoint, that's launching in a time that is, you know, facing a lot of tumultuous yeah. circumstances.
2: T- if, yeah, difficult times. Yeah, we. I mean, we, you know, we we made a profit in September. We made a profit in October. Um, we were very close to a profit in the fourth quarter, and you know, we've been operating for thirteen months. Um, so, and that, and that, and and that those results are because of the the very very focused, intense approach that I just outlined, which is, um, you know, which is which is being disciplined on your cost structure, and only investing when necessary, um, and investing in areas that are that are highly monetizable. Because our overall, Kaylee, our overall overall goal as a company is we want to as rapidly as possible achieve a sustainable. Business model for our for our journalistic mission, and um, and what that means in kind of uh, in in more plain language is we are looking to be a profitable company as quickly as possible, in order to prove our sustainability to ourselves, to our investors, uh, and uh, to our you know our, our clients and and other stakeholders. And you know once we've accomplished that, we. We will then consider incremental investments.
1: I think you said, was it October or was it September? Was the first month that you turned a profit, or is- we turned
2: a profit in September for the month of September? Uh, we I think we we almost broke even, and I think in April, but then we we actually turned real real true you know bottom line cash profits in September October, and as I mentioned, the fourth quarter is going to be going to be quite close to profitability.
1: So I want to definitely ask about the results from this first full year's revenue, what you can share in that regard. I know sometimes um, dollar signs are hard to share publicly, but I do want to ask how revenue um, has paced and you know profitability are, are coming at least pretty darn close to it in the fourth quarter's I think probably very impressive for a lot of publishers right now, but a good sign for a first-year startup.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would hope publishers have been around for longer or seeing profitability. Um, I mean, I think that us seeing uh, consistent months and uh, almost a fourth quarter of profitability in our first year is is extremely, is an outlier performance. Um, you know, I, I've been involved in a lot of different media ventures across my career, and this is the first time but I've seen these uh, these types of positive economics, especially in the face of all the headwinds that that we we referenced, and it's um, you know it powered by our two revenue streams, which is very premium advertising, which is very focused on the newsletter platform and almost exclusively focused on the corporate brand advertising marketplace, uh, and that's. revenue stream number one and our largest revenue stream and the second largest revenue stream but is sort of co-equal in terms of its our its prioritization within the organization is our live journalism business um we started semaphore we actually launched we had eight live events for semaphore before we even published our first article which is you know gives you a sense of how important this part of the business is to us Uh, you know, I've often said that um, live journalism and, and the events business is the, the single highest profit margin business opportunity that's adjacent to to quality journalism. Uh, and you know, our thesis was, you know, if you if your goal is to as rapidly as possible, you know, not to spend your investors' money um, based on sort of you know wild dreams of accelerated scale and, you know, and, and world conquering, but rather if your goal is to get to a sustainable business model as quickly as possible, then having profit streams from day one is a really good idea because it, um, it, it helps you do that. And so, you know, our events business is, is profitable, very profitable in our first year. So it's driven, um, you know, it's driven s- significant seven figure profits in our first year. And, uh, that, um, that's obviously been a big part of our ability to, to break even across, you know, those months that I mentioned and, and almost break even in the fourth quarter. Um, and overall, you know, you know, I'm not going to get into the details of our revenue itself just cause those are confidential numbers, but, you know, very healthy eight figure, uh, overall revenue number, um, for 2023, Uh, We're looking, I mean, looking at next year, we've already got eight figure revenue commitments in in place uh, in in the form of LOIs with companies. I think one of the metrics that I'm most proud of is we started with about, you know, eight launch sponsors, eight to 10 launch sponsors. And now at the end of this year, you know we've quadrupled the number of customers we have, advertising, commercial partners we have. To um, to over forty uh, around the world, um, and our the mix between our two revenue streams are it's about um, 60 65 percent uh, advertising and thirty five almost forty percent events, and um, so it's it, it's 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 still in the ads and events space. We haven't um, we haven't gone into the subscription area or, or some other areas. We're looking always looking at new revenue streams. Um, But we're very, very pleased with these two uh, and think that there's a long, long runway of opportunity for us going forward next year and beyond. And uh, we're really excited about it.
1: Yeah. And definitely want to dig into both, you know, the events piece and advertising and talk about, you know, the macro trends going on in that area as well. But before that, um, because I, if, You mentioned that you haven't really gotten into subscriptions yet. And I think I recall, I don't know if this is what came up during the podcast interview I did with Rachel Oppenheim, um, CRO of Semaphore. I think that was almost a year ago. Or if this is something that came up in just like general reporting. But, you know, the idea was to hold off on subscriptions as a way to. Gain as much traction and capture new readers and audiences as possible in that first full year. Is subscription something that you're thinking about adding in next year, or something that you're kind of still tabling for now um, as you continue building up audience?
2: Well, I mean, your summary of of our strategies is totally accurate, and um, my colleague uh, Rachel Oppenheim is a truly fantastic talent, and so she she got it right as she usually does on on everything. Um, we believe that there is great opportunity to build a brand and build audience, build audience engagement, refine our editorial products, sort of optimize product market fit, um, while being supported by, uh, by advertising and events and not, um, and not Uh, holding ourselves back by putting any of our content behind a paywall. It has to do with the the nature of the business model we've designed, which is not a traditional mass consumer news model, but is more akin to a business-to-business vertical uh, model for monetization. Um, You know, if you look at Semaphore from... You know, look at our website, or you look at us. Look at us from a uh, from the front, if you will, from the front window. It, it it appears to be a consumer news proposition, which it is. But the um, the architecture and the design of the of the business model, the monetization model, is 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 business to business vertical model uh, built around two regional editions: U.S. and Africa but five core verticals um, from politics and policy, sort of the Beltway market, um, business and finance, the the Wall Street investment market, um, technology slash AI, Silicon Valley, tech tech market, um, the media um, market, which Ben Smith, my co-founder, has just uh, built an incredible, incredible following um, for, for that vertical Uh, with lots of plans to grow that too, and then a climate vertical as well. And so, you know, when we're talking to our advertising clients, we're not talking about um, how they can connect with, you know, our three to four million readers who love Semaphore's general news. We're talking to clients about um, who are really, really interested in who were the, the leaders and the, um, the C-suite executives, the opinion leaders, the government and policy-making leaders who were driving um, influence and, and driving uh, sort of relevance across these five different verticals. And, and we uh, we built content products, newsletter products, increasingly web products, and then live event products for uh, that very um, premium leadership audience across those verticals. Uh, so it's, um, it's, it's just a different different model, and, and therefore it's, it, it, it's made it possible for us to suspend the need to introduce subscriptions for a while.
1: We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. It is interesting, though, because a lot of like B two B or trade orgs do rely on subscriptions because it is a very like premium content offering that they're giving to a audience of readers that often could expense those products if they wanted to. Um, but I also get your perspective that you know it is something that you're able to sustain without having to do that. And I think, given the advertising market the past year or so, it's also equally impressive that. Like you're able to get to the point of profitability in certain months or in the quarter, while that's not necessarily the case for other existing yeah. publishers.
2: Well, you know, I mean, I think, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm very pro subscription um, and uh, and believe that new premium news journalism organizations need to be, you know, revenue, um, they revenue stream neutral or, you know, another way to put it, someone said it once, my, uh, an old English boss said revenue promiscuous, which means, you know, you, you have to basically try everything and have everything. It's, it's challenging enough of a business uh, segment and a business, a set of business model that you just don't really have a choice other than to, 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 to try to generate as much revenue from as many streams as possible. And it's, how well you can execute across those range of revenue streams is generally the differentiator between whether you succeed or not. And um, so I have no doubt that we will one, one day have subscription products. The question is just timing and, and how much value you can create prior to dropping a paywall uh, in terms of growth of the brand and an audience. You know, I had a, an experience when I was CEO of Bloomberg media for, you know, almost, uh, almost nine years. Um, and, you know, Bloomberg media had a free model, um, for, you know, for decades, uh, where, um, they, obviously they, they, they would sell the terminal to their, uh, to their financial customers, but the, the website was free and it was largely to build a brand for the Bloomberg company and the terminal and so on. But, uh, while I was there, we, we, we like we convinced um Mike Bloomberg and the and the board to um allow us to to put in a paywall you know maybe 10 15 years after the paywall after they had launched a free product and you know because of the scale of the brand because of the quality of the content because of the really the indispensability of a lot of that content to key audiences this this speed and the and the and the quality of the subscription business that that we were able to build there was just was just remarkable, and so um, you yeah, know that that's that's certainly in the back of my mind as I think through this, the sequencing of subscriptions and advertising and free or not.
1: That makes a lot of sense, and obviously pulling from your past experience and you know trying to maybe recreate that success in a subscription product once you're at that point. That yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But, uh, but it's also,
2: and, Kaylee. I mean, there's not there's there's not one way to to do this. You know, there's not one one singular path for success. You know, they're so great examples. I mean, look at what Jessica Lesson and the information have done using a completely different path and a, a completely different business model architecture where, you know, she was from day one, uh, charging subscriptions, um, and has, you know, been focused and, and relentless and, you know, it's taken a long time to build that business. And and I mean, maybe impatience was also another ingredient in in semaphore's business model design because not sure he wanted to wait, you know, a decade to, um, you know, to really, you know, to have this brand become as big as it can be. But um, there's different ways of making, of, of different paths that one can design and that Both can be successful, and we've just chosen this path.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Getting into the audience piece of it right now, um, I think you mentioned you're around three to four million readers monthly, or or what's your audience size um, on platform, and then also for the newsletters. So,
2: so on and off platform together, about three, three and a half, four million on our best months. And um, as I mentioned earlier, we we very much prioritize. the newsletter platform and the events platform, and uh, and actually have deprioritized in this past year. In our first year, we've deprioritized web um, for a number of reasons. Uh, the uh, so, the, but the 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 web number is 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 the the three to four. The newsletter number is just shy. Oh, you're, you're maybe hitting this week or next week half a million subscriptions to our different to our newsletter portfolio. Um, and on the uh, event side, uh, I think we've produced over 50 live events uh, across this year.
1: A lot for a first year. Yes. Coming from a I company know. that also does events. Like that is a, that is a lot.
2: I know. I know. It's uh, I'd well, I'd, if you ever want to talk, we want to talk about events, we can talk about it later, but it's, it's a, uh, it's de- definitely a, a labor labor-intensive and a labor of love, but um, I'm, a, I'm a huge, huge believer in the power of events for uh, for quality journalism businesses.
1: They're some of my favorite parts of the job, too, just being able to meet sources in person even. But before we get into the events conversation, because I, I do have a, a bunch of questions about that, um, you mentioned deprioritizing web, and I wanted to get into the reasons why that is. And I, I would imagine some of it has to do with traffic and the platforms not being the best at spurring new, um, referrals, but that's just me taking a a shot in the dark there.
2: Well, listen, I mean, number one, it's also just, you have to prioritize. You can't do everything at once, especially with limited resources. So, uh, number two, you know, the newsletter, um, channel for the audience that we care about, which is world leaders, uh, leaders of business, leaders of government, you know, we're, we're, laser focused on the top of the pyramid, the inbox, the email inbox is still the most valuable and most, um, most, most powerful way to reach that audience. And so it's focus, it's where our audiences were, and also their business model advantages in, in this, in this moment in media around developing a one-to-one relationship with your audience and not having your, Audience disintermediated by a third party, you know, like like many of the my predecessor um, new media ventures, um, and um, you know, so so focus um, actually the inbox being where our audience is, and then you know, critically, uh, as I think you referenced to this this Kaylee, like we launched semaphore in we were one of the first new launches and news launches in what we call the post-social media era, uh, where um, if you launched an, on October 18th, 2022, like we did, and just spent the last you know, 13, 14 months building, even though we didn't prioritize the web um, or we deprioritized the web, I mean, we still were publishing a lot of content on the web, the ability to generate audience off social platforms is gone it's it's disappeared it's it's actually it's it's evaporated and vanished it's a, it's it's amazing um the percentage of traffic that we get from social platforms and search is tiny and you know when you when you describe this reality it's 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 almost like a pre-2007 2000 you know pre pre-social media reality um, you know, you're know, you back to kind of some of these big aggregators and places like the Judge, Drudge Report and uh, Flipboard. I mean, all these brands that, that used to be around before. But it's on the surface, you might think, oh God, that's, that's terrible. I mean, the, you know, much, you know, so much opportunity has been lost because these platforms have, have so downgraded and, or devalued news distribution as part of their algorithms. But actually, the truth is, it's a huge, huge advantage for, 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 for news companies, especially new news companies, because you're actually building real businesses again. You're building businesses with one-to-one relationships with readers. You're building businesses where you own the first-party data. You're building businesses where you, where you own 100% of the advertiser relationship, the monetization relationship. And, you know, while it's, you know, it's back to the future and it's sort of, we call it hand-to-hand combat, reader by reader by reader, email by email by email, event by event by event, Um, and it's tough and it's not for the faint of heart, Uh, what you're actually building is something truly valuable, lasting, proprietary uh, that, you know, that I believe ultimately will... Result in a far, far more um, healthier and, and far more valuable media asset than obviously many of the those that have preceded us in the the scale social distribution era, which many of which are either you know extinct or or close to extinct.
1: I mean, even if you look at like BuzzFeed's most recent earnings, the number of times they reference trying to bring their app back and get audiences to those owned and operated channels. Like it is really telling because they've been saying for quarters and quarters now that like Facebook traffic is down and, you know, it's something that is absolutely a hurting trend amongst a lot of digital publishers that to your point were extremely reliant on getting their audiences from social. Um, So yeah, it, it seems like it's really going back to 10 years ago, back, to like I remember using Buzzfeed's app for example almost every day in college but stop that habit like it's it, it is very interesting so audience acquisition you mentioned events kind of falling in that bucket so maybe that's a good transition point to getting into the events conversation a little bit more and how you're investing into that area are you planning on doing as many events as you did this year, are you trying to double that or grow it by some degree next year? Like, what's the kind of you know strategy or focus in getting events to? I think it's been reported that the goal is to have it be fifty percent of revenue next year, but maybe I'm misremembering that stat.
2: You no, know, I mean um, you're 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 well briefed. Um, I mean, our we are unapol- unapologetically dedicated to the events and live journalism business. Um, And, you know, even I've I've said jokingly, both in media interviews, but also internally that, you know, we're an events company. Semaphore is an events company with a journalism company on the side. That's not not exactly the case because the events are, at their heart, journalism. But I just say it just to to make the point um, that we are... Approaching this completely differently than anyone else, and, and having run some of the larger news organizations in America and the world these last few decades, uh, Atlantic, Bloomberg, um, I'm, I'm and having built events businesses in these organizations, I know you know firsthand how events businesses are treated in in legacy media organizations. Um, they are. Relegated to third class status. Um, you know, if you fail in the newsroom, then you get a then you get uh, you get assigned to the the events editorial team. If you fail in the in the sales you know operations of the core media business, then you can go and sell event sponsorships. They, it's like a sidecar, a redheaded stepchild. You know, and it's really sad. And you know, I, one of the tactics that I've deployed. You know, at Bloomberg and other places, actually, is to is just to, to eradicate that type of thinking, and um, and and sort of transport you know, literally the the events priority, uh, raise the events priority to the top of the list, and 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 replant the events operations into the heart of the operation, into the heart of, heart of the newsroom, heart of the of the commercial operation, and make it the a central responsibility for the leadership team for the editor-in-chief for the cro um, make it a um make it a core business and uh you know the, the power of that by itself is is just is remarkable um you know i'm i i do not consider this a trade secret because you know i think it's just common sense and uh and i'm sure anyone anyone has the option of, of doing it but it's it's a very powerful um, to sort of frame for, for 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 building these businesses more quickly and more successfully, um, and then there's a whole talent piece to the events uh, business, which is you know because it's been relegated to this second third class status, you know, there's not been a a lot of focus on building really really high high quality talent cultures around the event space, and that's that's in turn meant that there's not been a lot of mandate for innovation in the event space. What's the end result? The end result is that everyone's clamoring to do events because clients want them post-COVID, people want to be back together. Um, But what is the end result? The end result is a sea of sameness, a sea of conformity, of sameness um, and lack of invention, lack of innovation, lack of risk taking um, you know, I, I sometimes joke like that. No Stanford MBA uh, you know, graduates from this elite business school and, and says, oh, I want to go disrupt the events business. You know, it just it's uh, it's not it's not on the radar. So so there's just a lot of lot of opportunity if you if you take great people, super talented people, and then you and then imbue them with an innovative spirit put them at the heart of the events business, at the heart of the company, amazing things can happen. You know, we're building um, a, our most important new event uh, platform in Washington, D.C. It's called the Semaphore World Economy Summit. And it's going to be every April in Washington against the backdrop of the IMF World Bank meetings uh, based on a very simple insight that, you know, it's a week of meetings held by these two... Um, global, non-governmental in- institutions that attract basically 150 central bankers, 150 finance ministers, global CEOs from around the world. And it's, you know, everyone's meeting behind closed doors. There's no media um, platforms or megaphones or stages or parties. It's basically like the entire Davos crowd is in Washington for a week. And it's as if no one noticed. So we have, um, you know, built a pretty big infrastructure uh, to uh, you know to seize this moment in our first year, we, we launched the Semaphore World Economy Summit uh, and had over 60 speakers, 500 attendees across one day this year we're, we're expanding across the city from one stage to three stages, from 60 speakers to 200 speakers, um, from uh, uh, 500 uh, attendees to m- more than thousand, maybe 1,500, and you know, and, and the sky's the limit. We want there's, there does, it also doesn't happen to be in Washington D.C. Um, the de- a definitive you know week or or convening on the calendar when the world's business and economics, both private and public sector leaders, get together, and, and that's 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 the stage that we're building. Uh, we're, we're thrilled we have um, Penny Pritzker and uh, David Rubinstein are co-chairs, two of the most respected um, individuals uh, in, in both business, finance, global business, finance and, and government. These are the sorts of ideas, these are sorts of, of, of ambitious projects that you can realize if you do the things I said earlier, you know, put great talent. And, and, and create innovation mandates to just to experiment and do do great new things in the event space.
1: And how does your kind of um, like you mentioned you have uh, an Africa outlet you're you know not just based in the US you have 30% of your audiences outside of the US Like when you're thinking about globally expanding, how does that tie into events um, if it does at all? Yeah
2: well first I mean thanks for uh, bringing up the global piece I mean Semaphore was born global. Uh, Semaphore's name means the same thing and has the the same meaning in thirty-five different languages, which is the the bearer of a signal. Um, And uh, languages in Asia, Europe, Africa, Uh, and we chose that because to be a truly global quality news brand, and and our goal over the next five, ten years is to become the leading, the world's leading intelligent, independent news brand, and. Having spent a lot of my life working around the world in in premium news, you know the idea that you're sitting in Singapore and you you don't necessarily want to read a a publication that's from New York uh, with New York in its brand name, or from Washington with Washington, or from London or from Atlanta, a television channel from Atlanta. You know the world's grown up, and you know English language is the dominant language for the professional classes around the world, and. Um, there's a, just a massive opportunity to bring a, a to, to create a sort of a planetary brand um, that is not defined by its American, British, Western centric lens on the world, but rather is, is defined by super high quality, independent, good information produced in that region. You know, before we launched um, Semaphore, I, I gave a talk to the Harvard Business school uh, club in in new york and i talked about the era of the foreign correspondent being over the idea that in 2022 or three that you're sending a young ivy league graduate to nairobi to tell to tell us all about you know all we need to know about africa is just you know is almost silly when there are so many wonderful you know kenyan and african journalists on the ground there that have worked for many of the big global news organizations so so we sort of flipped the whole thing on its head. And then our first international market is Semaphore Africa um, because we wanted to be in the most advanced media market in the world, which is the U.S. and the least developed media market in the world, which is sub-Saharan Africa. And our idea was we could will then start with these two extremes and then fill in in between across the next number of years. But we have 16 journalists on the ground in Africa. We're maybe, you know, one of the, you know, the, the third or fourth largest news gathering operation in Africa. We're building, I mean, think of it as sort of a, like a New York Times for Africa. It's super high quality, original news, breaking news, but also distilling and curating other sources. Um, and it's, you know, it's already become a, a must read for anyone in the leadership classes, professional, you know, professional class business leaders in Africa and also the diaspora around the world that is so connected to Africa, and then the corridor between US and Africa, which is increasingly important, as, especially as Africa becomes so much more ascendant, uh, you know, geopolitically and economically as they over the, over the coming years. So that's, so that's our first international territory um, or international market, if you will. Um, we've also done events around Africa. We did the Semaphore Africa Summit in, in DC Alongside President Biden's um, African Leadership Summit, uh, and you know we've got a lot of advertisers reaching out to us saying they want to reach African leaders, and um, actually the, the next market, the next international market um, will be will be will be next year. We're going to expand into a, 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 a third regional market. Um, we're, we're not announcing what it is yet, but it's very exciting and. I'm um, doing a lot of work on that now. And, and I think uh, over time, you know, a little bit like the, the the board game Risk, you know, semaphores, yellow chips are going to get spread around the world, and uh, but only in a very careful way.
1: Yeah. And so I know we're ending or uh, coming up to the end of our um, time together, but I did want to ask about kind of other Areas of opportunity or challenges in 2024. You mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that the revenue picture was looking pretty good. You already had, I think, I think you said eight figures worth of revenue committed from um, advertisers for the coming year, and you're investing more into events, as you mentioned. You're expanding into a new market. Like, seems like a lot is you know expanding. And we're we're also going to be we're we're
2: expanding into we're going to be uh, sort of lifting up the prioritization of the web. Um, mm-hmm. Which was okay. which I mentioned was deprioritized. Trans- so so news it will yeah. still will still be newsletter and events first, but we're going to actually be launching a really really we think a breakthrough web product at some point in the in in the next couple of weeks slash months. Um, and uh, so yeah, so that that, that that's also going to be an important point. But sorry, your question was.
1: Oh, so I guess like leading into 2024, I am curious too. You've already raised what was is the total number around like $35, 35 million? Yeah, 30, to yeah. 35? Yeah. So how are you thinking about further investment into Semaphore next year if there is an appetite for media investment even, as well as like the appetite you're seeing from advertisers and things like that? I'm curious like what the next step forward is in further investing into um, semaphore as a as a company.
2: Well I think as I mentioned, I mean obviously we're looking at this um, this this web um, a web product for the first time which is which is a big, big decision for us. We're looking at then one more incremental global region. Um, and we are also looking at expanding, I think I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, or expanding our our capabilities around monetization, sales, marketing, uh, around our events business as well, which is growing so rapidly and is very, you know, requires, you know, uh, a, a lot of a, a lot of people and a lot of human labor. Um, so those are the main areas. You know, I, I would just maybe just close on saying that, um, you know, because we didn't talk about this, but you know, almost more than anything I've said on this uh, in this in this conversation that probably the the singular biggest priority that I've had all year long and that Ben Smith, my co-founders had um, since, you know, it's actually almost two years since I left Bloomberg and he left um, uh, New York Times, the number one priority and the number one sort of area of focus has been assembling uh, the the best team in the industry uh, and, and, and being, Maniacal and obsessive about pulling together the most exquisite talent in every single area, and um, I mean, you can see some of our journalists, like what Liz Hoffman is doing on the finance beat, what Reid Albergati is doing on the tech AI beat. Um, obviously, Ben and you know, it's got this and, his, and Max Tanny working underneath him on the media beat, but it goes even much deeper than that. Um, and then on the revenue side, and the marketing side, on the finance side. Uh, it's it's all you know I often said say said, talent is the super ingredient if you get talent right it's almost like you know everything else will fall into place and um and of course you also have to create a a, a fantastic collaborative um, warm human caring culture uh that uh, especially in this day and age, more than anything, I think those two foundational priorities of the best team in, in, in the global news business and the best culture in the global news business, I, I would say Semaphore has, uh, has really, really shined on both those fronts and would put our team and our culture up against anyone anyone out there,
1: and to continue supporting that team and culture and and you know top talent, which often comes at a you know higher cost. Um, are you looking to raise more uh, investment into Semaphore next year, like through a Series A round or anything, or is it mostly looking to grow the business through events and advertising, as as we had discussed?
2: You know, it, it, no, I mean we out we outperformed our ex, our. our our financials this year. Um, We're driving urgently towards sustainable model next year. We have a significant amount of capital in the bank because of uh, how much we raised. And, you know, we, uh, we prefer to, we prefer to keep our, our bank account healthy and build a sustainable model. than than just again, expand and accelerate too rapidly. So, uh, Right now, um, I mean, anything can happen, but, you know, we are really focused on, on building a sustainable model and we think we're, we're getting very close.
1: Well, thank you so much, Justin, for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate your time and your insights. And it was fascinating to hear how you're thinking about growth for next year. So I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Kaylee. Always you. love um, talking with Digiday and um, look forward to, to talking again soon.
1: All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. And please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. We'll be back next week with another episode.